Hello and welcome to Afroqueer. I'm your host, Sally Chum. Okay, so like many of you, I spend a lot of time online trying to find queer films and TV shows. Yeah, I've watched a lot of L Word. Like a lot of queer folk, I'm starved for queer content and I will spend hours on YouTube watching sometimes poorly made videos just to see an LGBT storyline. And very rarely are the videos made in Africa or center African experiences. There are just not that many queer African films, and I was sure I had watched all of them. But a few years ago, YouTube made a recommendation. It was a film called Dakon. I had never heard of this film. The description said that it was the first West African feature film to deal with homosexuality, and that it was filmed in the West African country of Guinea, and was released in 1997. Dakan means destiny in Mandinka, one of the languages spoken in Guinea. I thought, this can't be real, an African gay movie made more than 20 years ago? The first scene opens with two men in a red convertible at night. Their names are Manga and Sori, and they're kissing passionately. When Manga gets home, he asks his mother, is it bad to be attracted to someone of the same gender? She replies, it never happened. Since time began, it's never happened. For the next hour and a half, I watch as two young men struggle to carve out a space for their love and for their very existence. The scenes are beautiful. The way the characters are lit, the way they interact, how the director used shadow and light. It reminded me of Moonlight, but made 20 years ago, and in French, and Mandinka, and taking place in West Africa. The Khan is a gay love story, firmly rooted in a traditional African context. This film is a big deal, because homosexuality is criminalized in 33 of the 54 countries here on the African continent. Some of these countries have gay propaganda laws which ban public conversations about homosexuality. Other countries censor queer content. The rules and the punishments vary. But this means that films, plays, TV shows, YouTube videos with queer content are difficult to make in Africa. A good example of this is in 2018, Kenyan director Wanori Kayu made a film called Rafiki, a coming-of-age lesbian story set in Nairobi. The Kenyan Film Classification Board asked her to change the end of the film because it was too hopeful and positive. She refused. It was immediately banned, and I quote, due to its clear intent to promote lesbianism in Kenya, contrary to the law. And this was just last year. That con was made over 20 years ago. After watching the film, I tried to learn all I could about it. The film was directed by Guinean filmmaker Mohamed Kamara. It premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in 1997. When Africans attending Cannes found out that an African film was being screened, they came out in force and filled the auditorium seats. But they did not expect what they saw. So after the screening, as Mohamed Kamara got up on the stage, 
He was met with applause, but also the boos and jeers of people who didn't like the film because of the subject matter. Mohammed Kamara never made another film again. I needed to know more. I had so many questions. Who is Mohammed Kamara? Why did he make this film? What was it like filming a gay love story in West Africa in the 90s? And most of all, what happened to Mohammed Kamara? There are barely any queer films set on the African continent and fewer that show passion or love or making out like in the first scene of Dakan. I learned that Dakan has a bit of a cult following. I wasn't the only one. I was so excited. I felt like a rush, you know, like a, like a really dizzying energy and a dizzying rush. Um, and it was really the fact that this story had been told, really, um, from a director from Guinea. And, and that's what really excited me. Sarah Berry Moses is a gay Ugandan writer and curator who grew up in Kampala, but now lives in New York City. I broke down and cried when I watched it. It just felt like this was something that a lot of people um, I know, you know, had have experienced this kind of relationship to a society that, or even a family and a community that's um, somewhat antagonistic and thinks this is a disease that they need to cure. It really was the first time for me, personally, I don't know about others, that I was really seeing myself um, represented in cinema that way. Turns out that Moses, like me, after watching the film, had spent a few years wondering what had become of the filmmaker and had decided to start looking for him. I wrote out emails um, to a lot of people who I thought would know of his whereabouts. You know, where did this filmmaker disappear to? They all were, you know, we don't know who Mohammed Kamara is, you know. Moses called us after we asked for pitches from our audience. And as soon as I heard his pitch, my obsession with finding Mohammed Kamara was reignited. So we, the Afroqueer team, joined in the search. We sent out emails and made calls. We scoured social media and learned a lot about Mohamed Kamara, professional footballer in Switzerland, but nothing about our Mohamed Kamara. Moses and I heard different things. We heard that he was living in Paris. We heard he was living in Dakar, that he had retired from public life, that he was still making films or he had decided to become an accountant. If I'm totally honest, I think we imagine him as an older gay man living in exile in Paris, shunned for making by all accounts the first and possibly the last feature film about gay love in Guinea. We had all kinds of ideas of who this man was, until one of our producers got lucky and emailed an old journalist friend who emailed a friend, and suddenly we had his number. I called Moses to give him the good news. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I knew that Afroqueer would find Mohammed Kamara. <laughs> he still lives in Guinea. We found him! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, and he's invited us to come and meet him. So we got on a plane and flew from Kenya to Guinea to find Mohammed Kamara. 
Guinea is a French-speaking country of 12 million people on the west coast of Africa. The capital is Conakry, and that is where we travel to meet Mohamed Kamara. To understand the climate Kamara was making his film in, you have to understand a little bit about Guinea. It's a conservative and predominantly Muslim country. An Afrobarometer survey on attitudes towards homosexuality found that Guinea is among the most intolerant towards LGBTQ people. We arrived at Mohamed Kamara's house, and he's not what we expected. He's tall and lanky with salt and pepper hair and a handsome face. Kamara laughs a lot. It reaches his eyes. That is Mohamed Kamara's wife, Fingi. They welcomed us into their home. They've been married for 10 years. And first observation, Mohamed Kamara is not gay. We got the feeling that no one had asked Kamara about Dakan for a long time. He began his story at the very beginning. Mohamed Kamara became a filmmaker by accident. He had gone to Paris to study business administration, but couldn't enroll because he missed the registration period. He tells the story that one day he was strolling down the Champs-Élysées, wondering what his next move would be, when he had a chance meeting. He spotted French film star Michel Piccoli. He recognizes him right away, and he tells the movie star that his films are shown in Guinea. Piccoli is delighted by this, and the two have a coffee. Kamara tells him that he has no idea what he's going to do now, that he can't enroll in school. But if Piccoli had a job for him, he would be happy to take it. A week later, Kamara got a call. One of the best theater directors in France was looking for black people for his next play. Kamara auditioned and got the part. He played that role, and then he got another, and another. But after a while, he got tired of being typecast as a thug, a drug dealer, a thief. So he decided to write his own roles, where he could play complex characters. And that was when Kamara started on his journey that would lead him to making Dakan. Kamara says that he got the idea to make a film about gay men when he was visiting the city of Benfora in Burkina Faso. He was talking to one of the chiefs when he saw two young men walking towards them. They were kissing. He asked the chief about it. The chief shrugged and said, it's fine, they're just women. By this he meant that the community around these men had accepted them and were allowing for a more fluid idea of gender expression. Kamara was really confused by this. He'd never seen two black men kiss. As soon as he got home, Kamara started writing Dakan. Everyone who read the script refused to fund him. Some even wanted to beat him, he says. They basically told him that homosexuality did not exist in Africa, that he had no right to make such a film. The funders kept telling him that Africa was not ready for such a film. And he kept telling them, because the funders were European, but I'm the African one here. If I can write this script, how can you say that Africa is not ready? I'm the African. I'm the filmmaker. He was clear that he didn't want a story where homosexuality was hidden. 
He didn't want it to be ambiguous. Kamara says that when you make this kind of film, it's important that straight away people know what you're trying to say. So in Dakan, Kamara took special care to show that homosexuality is simultaneously viewed as shameful as well as commonplace. The relationship between Sori and Manga is accepted by their classmates, yet their parents go to extreme lengths to keep them apart. Eventually, Kamara got funding and permission from the president of Guinea to film in the country, but then he couldn't find any actors. People were scared to play gay characters. So he asked his little brother, Mamadi. And once Mamadi agreed to play Manga, the lead role, it was easier to convince others to join the cast. So they started filming, and the boys insisted that their girlfriends be on set. And after each kissing scene, they turned to kiss them, just to keep things clear. <laughs> People in Conakry started talking. Kamara's mother called and said they were saying bad things about him at the mosque. She worried about his brother taking part in the film. Kamara calmed her down and pushed on, determined to finish Dakan. Kamara's confidence seems bold, maybe a little naive. Why did he think that people would just accept this film? Kamara says there are many contradictions in Guinea. Les homosexuels Homosexuals have a very important role in our society. They are people who bring color and joy to wedding ceremonies. They dance. They are the friends of the women. That works. People accept that. They have no problem with it, he says. But if you say that is not what a homosexual is, that a homosexual is a man who makes love to another man, or a woman who makes love with another woman, then no one wants to talk about it. It's taboo. Some of the giants of African cinema were at the Cannes screening when Kamara premiered Dakan. They warned him that he was treading dangerous waters. Jabril Jop Mambiti one of Senegal's legendary filmmakers walked out midway through the press conference. He later told Kamara that he felt sad for him. This is the first screening, Mambati said. You can be sure that your career is over, but in a hundred years, people will still talk about you. You can be sure about that. For others, their reaction was simply to brand Kamara as a gay activist. Kamara has always been completely unfazed about whether people think he's gay or not. For him, being mistaken for a gay man was confirmation that even as an outsider looking in, he had got it right. When you create a piece that allows you to connect like this, it is priceless, he says. But the truth is, things got tough for him. He was ostracized by many members of the African film community. The talk of the town was that he was a sellout. They said this is white people shit. Africans don't know these things. 
He stayed in white people's country for too long, studied too much. As he reflects, Kamara has one thing to say to that. People think that a love story must be European or Asian, but not African. That's terrible, as if we Africans are not human. I think it's terrible. After releasing Dakan, Kamara was getting used to the vetriol and having to defend his film. But it's when he started touring with Dakan in Africa that things got really hot. He would have to change hotels every day. He would leave five to ten minutes before the end of every screening to avoid being beaten up. The screening he had in his home country of Guinea was held at the Franco-Guinean Cultural Center. The room was packed. The crowd was rowdy. Five minutes before the end, Kamara got up to leave, as had become his tactic. Donc, à cinq minutes de la fin, il y avait tellement d'insolence dans la salle. Tellement. C'était l'enfer. This time, he hid behind a door. Dès que le film est terminé, les gens cherchaient le réalisateur. Où il est? Where's the bastard, the dog? Kamara could hear the footsteps getting closer, and then the door moved. Là où je suis caché, il a enlevé la porte comme ça. My brother, have you found the bastard who made this film? Kamara said, even me, I'm looking for him. He made his escape. It was a close call. Hell, as he calls it. The imams in Guinea declared him enemy number one. A fatwa, or condemnation, was issued against him. Kamara didn't back down. He called the Minister of Religious Affairs and asked him to organize a televised debate between him and the imams. Five of them came. They started quoting the Quran, and Kamara stopped them. You know, you have all these books, but you don't believe in God, Kamara said. One of them stood up. You should make films that your namesake, Prophet Muhammad, would like. Kamara's response, God created us all, gays, heterosexuals, thieves, ministers, presidents, and if you believe in him, you wouldn't condemn anyone. You are not prophets. They closed their books and left. Once the debate was televised, the public calmed down. Even if the film is projected today, he says, there are still negative reactions, but it doesn't go further than that. Even with all the controversy, though, there was also tremendous support for the film. In South Africa, hundreds of people came to watch the screening in Suetu. But the most touching experience, Kamara says, was touring the film in the U.S. at the invitation of the Independent Filmmaker Showcase. African Americans came in force to see the film. They stood up. They cried. They said, it is the first time that we watch an African film with Africans in it about homosexuality. Le film vous dépasse. Your film is much bigger than you because you have made us African-Americans feel African. We were always told that there was no homosexuals in Africa. This film reveals to us that there are, and now we feel African too. 
That's the thing about Zakan. It's not just the first film by a West African director about gay love. It's a film that made me and Moses and so many other people feel seen. It's about love, about hardships, and ultimately about surviving in a setting that doesn't accept you. So one of the most poignant moments for me in the film, and spoiler alert, just so you know, is a scene towards the end when Manga tries to make love to his girlfriend, Umu. Yes, you heard it right, his girlfriend. After so much pressure from his mom, Manga starts a relationship with a woman. But try as he might, Manga cannot get Sori out of his mind. And as he and Umu make love, Manga has flashbacks of his time with Sori. Sori is still in his head. So Manga goes in search of him. He finds him in the village. He has a wife and a baby. He too has been forced to live a lie. Manga plays with the baby for a while, but in the end, the two boys, who are now men, leave together. All my films end with people leaving. Where to? We don't know. They're going towards freedom, Kamara says. For me, when we stop having hope, we die. The world belongs to those who refuse to give up. The predictions were right. Mohamed Kamara never released another feature film after Dakan. Moses called us while we were in Conakry. Hello? Hello. Bonjour. with you, I'm very happy, I'm very excited. I found your film uh, after really a long time of searching for um, any feature films made with African LGBT characters. So Dakar was that film for me. Ça me fait énormément plaisir. I'm very, very happy. Because when you discover that your work is acknowledged by people you couldn't expect, it's priceless. Listening back to the call with Moses, I felt that even if Mohamed Kamara never makes another film, he's left a huge mark on this world. I really hope that he understands that um, people didn't really forget about him, his story, his film, and the work that he was doing. This episode was reported by me, Sally Chum, and Maimuna Jallo. Produced by me, Sally Chum, Ida Halinambi, and Mae Francis. Our assistant producers were Sarah Berry Moses and Amelie Bertolet-Hingo. Sound editing by Tevin Sudi. Rachel Wamoto is our social media maven. This season of Afroqueer is supported by Hivos, The Dune Foundation, Google, and PRX. Our theme song, Power, is by Maya and the Big Sky. Follow Afroqueer Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes, and on our website, www.afroqueerpodcast.com. I'm Sally Chum. Thanks for listening. Oh.
money, ille.